You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! And we're live. Kristen Harrington, how are you doing today on this Beautiful, beautiful afternoon with the first snowfall of the season and the sun shining and the animals out and about and kids making snow forts and snowmen and... Gosh, I feel like you should just get the newspaper out and start reading aloud to me. Yeah. You've got that winter spirit to you today. I am ready to go. I'm going to go for a big walk in the woods after this. It's that really pretty glistening snow today. Yeah, it's I on. think like this is the first time the sun's been out in a month, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we don't get much sun here anymore. Seems that way. That's... The sun is always above the clouds, someone reminded me recently. That's true. So it's there. It's just not been visible for a while. It's also a very good reminder to take your vitamin D, mm-hmm. which is also a good reminder that we have Dr. Mal on the <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> good segue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, Dr. Mal is, she was an incredible wealth of information. I almost felt bad after because we really grilled her with the questions this this round. But Yeah, it was a lot of talk about, I guess, well-being and her practice. We didn't really get into that much of who Dr. Mal the person is. Yeah, we really try and make a point for that to be the focus. We want to learn about people first and foremost, but she's just so educated and passionate about what she does. She specializes in brain health, and uh, I know she has a vast background in women's health as well. And she's she's now getting into helping female entrepreneurs specifically in managing their health. So of course, I, I kind of took advantage, I suppose, of her bank of uh, facts and tips. So I, I, I think it will help others, though, as well. Oh, definitely. It's uh, just so much knowledge there. And again, this podcast, again, it's always shifting a little bit. And a lot of people really like to dive into and resonate with these podcasts that have information that they can just learn from. So we interview primarily creative people. That was the at the outset, our intention at least. But we have kind of started to include other people in our community that we feel will just offer something, be it that sense of community or well-being. And we know that artists especially, we live a different kind of life. We live off the beaten path, you might say. So Having these people come in and uh, especially people like Dr. Mal, who's just so giving with wanting to help, uh, we feel applies to that creative life and creative spirit and general public. Yeah. And I think just any episode where people can just really have these big takeaways from it that will make them feel better from day to day. Like our, our goal isn't, again, to be just something where we... We we change the world or anything, but you know, like these little little tidbits of information can can help people. And I feel like there's a lot of amazing stuff in here. And I don't know if at any point we said that 
Mal's my cousin in there, did we? I don't know. Mallory, Dr. Mal is Mallory Ryan. Yes. <laughs> another one of Mike's very accomplished cousins. <laughs> yeah, I am surrounded by uh, a wealth of amazing people. Yeah, those, those Ryan jeans. Yeah, they're not too bad. <laughs> we'll try to get some Harringtons in here eventually. Yeah, we'll cover... Everyone we can. Everyone we can. Before we get into the interview, though, I wanted to ask you, you had the good fortune of attending the World Junior Gold Medal Game. I did. And I'd like to ask how you're feeling now that uh, we're only a matter of days since that incredible high-energy win. Well, it was certainly a very heightened level of excitement in the building. And when they scored that overtime goal, when 10,000 people are just screaming their heads off and erupting with sheer joy and just vibrancy, like that's spreads like wildfire. And yeah, every, everyone in there was like just so excited. We talk a lot on the podcast about mindfulness and guests talking about at a music event, especially some of the musicians we've interviewed have reflected on the energy in the room and the power that that has. And we use sporting events often as a comparable to that. So I I mentioned this for that reason, because it feels thematic in some of the topics we talk about. But our interview with Dr. Mao, we also talk about ways to stimulate serotonin and release dopamine and some of these feel-good chemicals in your body. We don't mention go to important hockey games where your team wins. We don't. Our... So that's why I'm re- yeah. I wanted to cover that off yeah. here in the intro. <laughs> yeah, get, get free <laughs> tickets like me and really good seats. It was pretty amazing af- after they won. Well, obviously everyone in the building's going crazy. I was watching the players themselves like looking at their faces and just like seeing them just squeeze each other with just so much joy like that that's like some of them are going to go on to do really big things in professional hockey some of them won't this will be the biggest moment of a number of their lives and just witnessing that is an amazing thing yeah i love that it it sheds light on being able to feel joy on behalf of someone else and and their accomplishment. I know what you mean. I, I was home, but I definitely had tears in my eyes. Just, yes, we're all excited that they won and we're proud to be Canadian and proud of Halifax, really. I mean, logistically, but just the support that we had for yeah. all the teams like that, that really was a shared sense of pride. But seeing someone achieve such a huge joyful moment in their life you you feel that with them and that what a beautiful thing to share as a province yeah and i i was even thinking about sports wins i had growing up like when i won volleyball provincials when i was in grade 12 like like i've had a lot of amazing moments in my life after that obviously but that moment where like a whistle's blown and you win, your adrenaline is spiked so high. Like you don't really get moments like that. Just like, obviously like our wedding day is awesome. Like lots of things are awesome, but just that, that spike of chemicals in your brain. Like you can't really. Or the day that you got to pet the cougar at no, your high cheetah. school is the cheetah is also the, so the wedding is now in third place is what you're saying. 
Cheetah <laughs> sports games. Well, I'm saying one sporting event in particular. Oh. Winning <laughs> winning the Nova Scotia Provincial Volleyball Championship. Okay. Um, I'm not saying that's So I get better. the bronze. It's I'm okay. Saying, I, I still medal, I'm right? Just, you got a medal. Maybe gold, maybe silver, maybe bronze. You know, they're all different. Mm. They're very different. I'm just <laughs> saying that spike of adrenaline and feel good energy in that like five minutes or maybe a little longer like half hour after you win like you're completely on top of the world like we are the champions is playing your teammates are carrying you on their shoulders like it's yeah it's memorable these are these are things that stay with you so i i understand and i think i think mal touches on how to tap into the feel-good chemicals on a daily basis so it might not be those extreme heightened moments but it's important for us to be able to uh have a little flavor of that as a on our ingredient list at least for the day well let's get into those ingredients here with dr mal and hope everyone out there is doing awesome and dig in get a pen and paper ready because there's lots of uh stuff you can take away from this great Had a mate like you had Tommy on, you had Cokes on, you got you had yeah. amazing guests. Well, we've got you on today too, we which have, we've been. We have Doctor Mal on oh, right yeah. now. Yeah, the fancy, so fancy. And we've we've had a few uh, reschedules to get you here. So I thanks for showing up in person. I know that it's been a little bit of a barrier, I guess you could say, not doing Zoom interviews, but yeah, it's it's just so nice to have people in person and. Absolutely. Sitting across from one another, so yeah, we were the the virus, the twenty twenty two virus season in Nova what Scotia. What virus was that? No, <laughs> like which which one? Yeah. <laughs> All of them at once. <gasps> yeah. So I think that's why we've had to reschedule. But it's so good to get out in your little piece of heaven out here. Yeah, we appreciate it, and uh, yeah, there's been a bit of a trifecta happening with the kids, especially in the respiratory stuff. So fully mm-hmm. appreciate how that can linger. Yeah, I escaped. Good for you. Yeah. You've been pretty healthy then. <laughs> no, I escaped to come here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows if you're safe here? Though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what is going on, Dr. Mal? Oh, not too much. Just focusing on some work and kids and getting close to the holidays and all that stuff. It's a busy time of year. Yeah, it is. It's it's all it's like it came so quickly and then all of a sudden you're like, how is it already? December, almost 2023, but here we are. We survived. We're looking for, we're really looking forward to the new year because I find December is kind of distracted with lots of other bits of things that aren't typical in our lives. And into the new year now, it's uh, exciting to kind of refocus and get back to a bit of a routine. Mm. Um, Do you have an established routine for yourself that you find works, like a morning routine or a weekly routine? What does that look like for a doctor? Oh, my gosh. First of all, I don't identify. (laughs) Um, That's a good question. I think for me, one thing that I find is so helpful is I need alone time. And the only time I can find that, to my detriment, is early in the morning. So I have to get up at least 
30 minutes, an hour before the kids, yeah. I find to actually set the tone of like, okay, this is what's up today. And I don't do, I, I, I wish I could say, like everyone else would say, like I do this, I have my warm lemon water and then I do this. I read. Oh, nice. I sit in a chair and I read a book that's really interesting. It's usually on a topic that I'm fascinated with in medicine or psych or whatever, or development. And I sit there and I drink a coffee and I read. That's such a calming way to kick things off. Yeah. Is your body naturally inclined to wake up earlier or is that something you've kind of trained yourself to do? I would say if I don't get alone time in some capacity in the morning, I'll actually find it at night, which means I can stay up a little too late to find that little corner of alone time. So if I can get into a rhythm, I can get up a little bit earlier. I like getting up a little bit earlier. I feel a little bit too groggy if I sleep in. So yeah, I'm naturally designed to get up a little earlier, I think. Mm -hmm. So you are obviously a naturopathic doctor. Yeah. And you studied also neuroscience at uh, university. Mm -hmm. what, what got you into the, the health sciences? And as a, a girl growing up in small town Cape Breton, mm -hmm. how did you come into this world? I think when I look, it's everything is in 2020, right? Like everything seems so clear when you look back. One of the things that I found was so impactful for me. So when I was about five years old, we were living in Inverness. Yeah. And I woke up one morning and my brother was very upset. He was looking at me and he was yelling my name and I realized that I was shaking. And so... He was, he's about 13 years older than me. So he just come home. It was early in the morning and he saw me. I was having a seizure. Okay. So I could see him. I didn't know what was going on. He yelled to my dad. So I just saw a lot of chaos going on around me. And they jumped in the car and they whipped me up to the IWK. And there was lots of tests and there was lots of different assessments. And I still didn't really know what was going on. And they kept saying my middle name which is Danette. And I didn't really know why they were saying my middle name. I thought they didn't know my first name. Now, granted, I was only five. And what I realized was my mom told me afterwards is that your aunt's name was Danette. They're talking about your aunt. And so my mom had a little sister. She only had one sister. And when she was 20, she passed away, step dancing. And the oh. only health history they had was seizures. So they were trying to figure out what's happening to her. Is that what happened to Danette? Like, what is this? And so they were kind of always talking over me, trying to figure out this puzzle that it makes sense now as a grown up and understanding. But that I remember they were doing a lot of tests, a lot of assessments and talking about Danette, trying to figure out what kind of seizure it was. I ended up being allergic to the medication, which is interesting in, in and of itself. And then there was this one doctor towards the end of it all, and she knelt down and she told me that just because you're having a seizure doesn't mean you have to be scared. And she was like, it will pass. It will, it will pass. You can, you can roll with it. You can float with it. You can experience it, and you don't have to fight it. And I remember about a week later, I was riding my bike, and I had that feeling like it was coming on again. And I laid down in the grass and I remember thinking, like, I just watched a dandelion and it wasn't scary. And I've always had a fascination since then between stimulus and response. 
Like, how do you play with the space between what you're experiencing and how you're feeling about what you're experiencing? That wasn't an idea at a five-year-old. But when I went to school, I was always fascinated by, like, how do we think? How do we operate? How does stress? How do we feel about stress? What is stress? How do we respond to it? Um, and when I was in university, I took, I was doing a science program. And then I wanted, I was really fascinated with psychology and my grandmother had cancer at the time. And I was reading that if you change the light bulbs in the lamps to green, to purple, you're changing the environment, which means that you're, you're not allowing the drug to habituate to an environment. So it can actually impact the drug's response. And I was like, how are we not talking about this? How are we not talking about how we work inside on a mental level in conjunction with a physical environmental level? And so I went to the dean of psych and I said, I want to do my science degree, but with the focus on psych. And they're like, you can't do that. It's an arts program. And I was like, can we, though? <laughs> can we this one time? So that's how I got into this world of being interested with how much influence we have over our experience. What an incredible story. Isn't that cool? And for that impact from such an early age, spoken from the words of that nurse... Mm-hmm. Like And for you to remember that and apply it to your now life is also very incredible, the power of those words. Yeah. And I don't, I think I didn't really resonate with it until I was a lot older. Um, but yeah, it was like. Did they get to the bottom of what was happening? Yes. Okay. Sorry. So, yes. So what they've discovered was. It was a type of seizure called mild Rolandic seizures, and they suspected that's what it was. Um, and my mom told me now as a grown-up that she lived thinking that I would only, I wouldn't live past 20, mm-hmm. because, but they said she could grow out of it or she could have this for life. Um, and I ended up, I think, six months later having never won again, never having won again. So it ended up just being a blip on the radar. Yeah. And sometimes these things, well, we were speaking earlier about Mm -hmm. sometimes health interruptions, I'll call them, can happen in your life. And that brings new perspective, fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You must see that all the time in your practice. All the time. All the time. And I think oftentimes we feel like we don't have a lot of control or influence over it when we inherently do. Does it require that kind of alarming experience often for people to make because the different my understanding we'll get into this the Mm -hmm. difference in what you're doing you're looking at the body and and lifestyle and mind in such a holistic way that sometimes these scares that happen Mm -hmm. could the root cause of it could be something that was not even on our radar and I feel like your area does such a great job at digging into those details that you might discover something that never even crossed this person's mind that led to a heart attack, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how, yeah, what are your observations and what bring people into your office? I think I think the scary ones, like the big, powerful, scary ones that sort of stop you in your tracks are pretty clear. Um, they always say like the most powerful decision making is through scarce, like through a sense of fear or epiphany. And it's really hard to conjure an epiphany. Um, and so I think in between that, either getting scared shitless or an epiphany is just powerful decisions. Just deciding. I don't want to feel this way. 
I don't want to act this way. I don't want to think this way anymore. I don't want to behave this way anymore. And I think one of the most underrated qualities that we have is our decision making. And when you actually decide that you're not going to do this anymore or it's not going to look like this anymore, then you're opening up a channel to being like, okay, what can it look like then? I find too, a lot of times you're looking for a simple solution or this one size fits all, which of course we all know is not the case, but that can also make it confusing to know where to start. A hundred percent. Yeah. So do you have any advice for folks just looking for step one? I want to improve my mind, body and spirit because it's an overwhelming world out there. Yeah, I think I can't remember. I was doing a keynote like last year or something and I Googled like health solutions in Google and it was like, I didn't know they had that many answers. Mm. It was like something in like the hundred million <laughs> hits. <laughs> So realistically, it would be really overwhelming for someone to be like, I don't know where to start. I would say um, the most powerful thing that you can do and I, is not positive thinking, but truthful thinking. Oh, I love this. And so I think that's probably when you realize um, that our mind is designed to tell stories. Our, mind is, our minds are meaning makers. So... We'll gather bits of information and we'll filter different information and we'll lean it back to our past and something that we experience and then we'll gather it. We don't realize we're doing this, but we're, we are creating this narrative around our experience and a story. And oftentimes that story can break our own heart without even having to have that experience happen. So I think when we realize that the mind has a negativity bias, it's going to hold on to something that feels painful or negative a lot stronger than something that feels positive or neutral. That's when you start to realize that a lot of your thoughts are actually not true. And you don't have to, and we're so, we're so sort of black and white thinking in a lot of times. And so it's like, if I'm thinking negative or if I'm depressed or if I'm anxious or if I'm whatever, I gotta get just to be more positive. And if you think positively, but you don't believe it, that's more detrimental because now you're setting up your expectation and disappointing yourself. And so you're layering on the weight of, I need to think positively. I need to show up differently. I need to do this. I need to do that. And nothing is a sense of coherence in your system because it's not aligned like that. Your whole pattern is designed to be a certain way. And you're just trying to muscle through positive thoughts to get there. And so I would say one of the most impactful things is if you're thinking something and it's triggering you or if it's conjuring an emotion, is it true? Yes or no answers. So is it true that this is going to happen? No, I don't know that. And your brain doesn't know the difference between reality and what you're thinking. Is that true? No. Nope. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So the repetition of thought can create an experience. Your mind doesn't know the difference between a lived experience and a thought experience. Is that how manifestation works? I, I, yeah, I guess so. In the sense that you're sort of creating, you're filtering your whole system to, to see something that's not in existence yet. And you're aligning and you're tuning your brain to pick up on these little, little details and little sort of things that are going to get you there. You're sort of, you're priming yourself to experience something that you haven't experienced yet. And so I would say my greatest tip would be factual thinking. Give your mind yes or no questions. 
closed is, angle question. Is writing about that a helpful way? Like sitting down with a notebook or journal and taking yeah. that question that you're, is going through your mind and kind of hashing it out, I guess? I think that writing is a is a really incredible way to do that because writing, our mind is so quick that writing forces you to slow down yeah. a bit and it also forces you to have a sense of clarity. I think oftentimes when we say we're anxious, first of all, I don't love the term anxiety because when you, if someone came up to you and you said, they said, I'm anxious, you have no idea what they're feeling because anxiety is an umbrella term. Mm. And so if someone is saying I'm anxious, then your mind doesn't really know what that is. It doesn't really know how to help you because it's, you could be scared, you could be overwhelmed, you could be ashamed, you could be embarrassed. And so there's such a lack of clarity in our mind of what we're actually experiencing because when we say anxious, that could be 10 different experiences under one umbrella. Writing allows you to get thoughts out, slowing it down, so you get it out for one, which is the, which is the point of processing. Um, and you also get a sense of clarity. And I think in that clarity, you get to process. Because so many of us are describing our life experience as anxious mm -hmm. these days, especially, is it important to break that down further for our own healing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the only reason I would say that that's so important is that here's something that I learned only like shockingly recently. Not recently, recently as in like 10 years. Um, it's all relative. Emotions are experienced in the body. And what I mean by that is that it's a physical sensation that you experience in the body and you attach a label to it. You experience it physically in your body. So everyone can kind of emulate the feeling of anger. Like everything's tightened, they clench their fists, they just feel a tightness in their chest. So it's a physical experience. Thought is a very mental experience. It's a very cranial, it's, um, it's a very frontal lobe, rational, like thought is a very mental thing. When you have a vague description of what you're experiencing, you're not connecting the two. Your thoughts and your emotions. It's actually soothing, instead of saying I'm anxious, to be like, I'm scared. Because your mind stops triggering you to figure it out and you get it. And then you get to process um, rather than I'm anxious, which feels like it's there's no solution to it. What about talking to yourself about what those physical sensations are like? Mm -hmm. Is that part of totally. the process? Okay. Yeah. So if it's if you're feeling off and it's like, okay, what am I feeling? Off is vague. If you're feeling like um, flustered or you can't think straight or you're tense in your chest or something's happening physically and it's like what am I feeling what is this like we give this language to children but we never translate that into adults like what are you feeling and it's like I'm feeling overwhelmed it's like okay well that's you're feeling overwhelmed now what instead of I feel off this is so important because, again, using anxiety as a blanket term, you also risk telling yourself, I'm anxious all the time. Yes. When, in fact, you could be nervous about going to this party because you don't know people or 
You might feel overwhelmed that you have to go to the grocery store because you've also got to come home and get your kids to bed. Those are two very different emotions that we both label as anxiety. So you're just like, I'm anxious all the time. Totally. Yeah. I want to tell you a secret about how the mind works. Mm -hmm. Whatever follows I am is your identity. And so the vast majority of the mind is very much so below our conscious level. And so if you're walking around saying, I'm tired, I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, I'm depressed, your whole world will take that shape because it's who you are. When you say, I'm experiencing anxiety, I'm experiencing fatigue, it's not who you are. It feels manageable. And so you get that space between this is who I am versus this is what I'm experiencing because it's not who you are. Like the mind doesn't really feel inclined to course correct when it's ultimately who you are. What a simple differentiation that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I've read some things in the last while talking about how essentially the body is now kind of looked at as the, I don't know how you describe it, as the, the vessel that kind of stores anxiety. It's not actually in your head. Like mm-hmm. the body keeps the score. So they mm-hmm. say, have you done any research on that? Yes. And I think, I, I, I don't know how, what research I guess you should mean, but I, I totally, um, yeah, your nervous system is a physical experience for sure. And I think I think a lot of it gets stored. Our nervous system, like when emotions are in the body and we're constantly in a state of tension and a state of stress. Um, one thing that's helpful to remember is that the mind is blind. You tell it what it means. And so when you're constantly stressed, when we're constantly tuned in to um, being on in any capacity, our physical our physical bodies and beings carry the weight of that. Yeah. And when you don't get to really process or understand or um, how it works in some capacity or what helps you, it just stays that way. It's the same reason why in kids, stomach aches are in, is like they're scared oftentimes. Like they physically have a sensation in their body and it's actually an emotion. How does gut health connect to brain health oh my (laughs) we might have to have a sequel after this so the um the brain is connected to the gut via something called the vagus nerve it's the largest nerve in our body the interesting thing is that only in the last 10 15 years or so we've really had this understanding of the relationship that it has to the point where um like they have research that NFL quarterbacks or NFL players that have a concussion will have digestive symptoms within three hours. Whoa. And individuals that have digestive symptoms inherently are more predisposed to mental health issues. And so what happens is that the brain and the gut have this like super highway of the vagus nerve and that goes back and forth. Information goes back and forth. Inflammation in one area can translate to inflammation in the other. Now, the brain is, it doesn't have a, the immune system that the body has. So when you get a cut in your, on your body, there's lots of white blood cells. There's lots of factors in the immunity in the body that go ahead and address inflammation. The brain only has one, and it's kind of like the shittiest that the body would have. It's called glial cells. 
So it doesn't have a really strong immune system for inflammation. It has a skull. So it designed to protect itself through the skull and this membrane that's around it called the blood-brain barrier. So there's the skull, there's the brain, and there's the blood-brain barrier, which is kind of meant to be like a filter system. That connects to the vagus nerve that goes down to the gut. The When there's inflammation in the gut, when you're, you're stressed, you're not eating poorly. Now, everything that I say, I should say, say this as a caveat, everything that I should everything that I'm saying, you can address. It's not like this is a curse. This is sort of how you, how you live. When you have inflammation in the gut, it can, it can impact the blood-brain barrier and, and translate to inflammation in the, in the brain. And so things like brain fog, anxiety, trouble sleeping. Um, and the interesting thing is that the nervous system, the vagus nerve, controls the off button to the stress system the parasympathetic nervous system. So you know when you're you're kind of going, 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 it's sympathetic nervous system, and you come home, you lay on the couch, and you just go, that's the parasympathetic nervous system? Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, right? <laughs> that highway controls that, Hey, so they put so, a little bit of construction barriers up mm-hmm. there on the highway come 6 o'clock. Totally, which is why we can, when we... Tune in. I don't like sort of telling people what to do nutrition-wise unless it's really dialed in for them. But when you start to tune into some of these things that help you, the ripple effect is greater than you can measure. Because you're not doing it because you're supposed to. You're doing it because you're designed for it. This is this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like every sentence is a bit of a mic drop here, Mal. It's like a headline, <laughs> the way that you're describing it. But it's... It, it's just so interesting, and um, especially with brain health isn't something that is as talked about, I would argue, yeah. because we get kind of fixated on, uh, and we talked about this with Dr. Cox when she was yeah. on, like your body composition, like how you look, how oh thin God. you are, is so front and center with how we have historically perceived health, that brain health is kind of this new kid on the block for many one hundred percent, and I think that's such a societal fault. Is that health is is a it, like you could see health, mm-hmm. you can't, mm-hmm. you really can't, um, and that nutrition is somehow attached to diet. I hate the word diet, um, only because like you're designed, it's sustenance, it's living, it's you need caloric intake to function as a human and when you attach value your value and your appearance to your sustenance it's such a slippery slope because you're making decisions for your health and how you feel as a human based on how you're perceived as a person physically on instagram (laughs) yeah and it's not even for you yeah it's for the it's for the illusion of feeling better through others' eyes. And it becomes this very touchy topic to talk about in terms of nutrition because it's it's so polarizing when it's really what keeps you alive. And you can look at cultures that have food scarcity and there's different body types. What does that tell you? Yeah, that's such a good example to like, think about it that way. We're very isolated here and 
Totally. Where yeah. it's where it's like it's not about the design. It's about your design. Like what makes you feel? You can look a certain way and feel awful. Awful. You can reach a certain goal and feel the fear of getting back to where you were because you haven't reconciled the fact that getting to that goal had nothing to do about your weight. And so I think that with nutrition, it's just when you're able to step back and look at it from a way of almost like curiosity rather than expectation, it's much more it's much more enjoyable to play in that space of like, I wonder what this makes me feel like. It feels like there's potential to have a lot of fun with this. Totally. Yeah. I get to feel really awesome. And this is within our control. Totally. And you know what's a great example of that outside of nutrition? You training. I wonder how far I could go. I wonder what, who I am. I wonder how I re-identify with myself. It's the same principle of, I wonder what makes me feel good. And there's so many, well, yes, with running, in in my Mm -hmm. case, having this marathon goal, it was so much of that experience was well beyond just the running. And any runner would appreciate and understand this. And and lots of kinds of fitness might give that same high. Uh, For me, I, I was fortunate to find the thing that offered that. But you're absolutely right. It was about... I, I'm going to prove to myself I can go a little bit further this week and then a little bit further the next mm-hmm. week. And it also required taking care of yourself in between those days 100%. to enable you to go that extra two, three, 10, 20 kilometers come my Saturday long run. Achieving those, I mean, you're yeah, it's hard on your body. It's yeah. hard. You're so rewarded mm-hmm. by having done that thing for yourself and the maintenance in between also makes you feel really great, but it wasn't about that. Mm-hmm. It was about, you know, getting yourself to that next goalpost. And, 100%. Yeah. And I think that, like, that exercises muscles like powerful decision-making. When it's raining, you go. Mm-hmm. Discipline. of It's like it, the whole experience of pushing yourself in a direction that you're not comfortable in, like nutrition, like sleep like anything really like doing like the marathon is that it's not so powerful about what you're doing it's how you see yourself and so you're re-identifying who you are to you and you're re-identifying it's like when I say go we go when I say run we run and it doesn't matter if it's raining if it's snowing if it's wet if I hurt myself to a degree um when you're running that or if it's uncomfortable And that translates when you get into rooms with people that you're uncomfortable with or you don't want to speak up. That ability, is that something you can learn or teach someone? That is the most trainable thing on earth. We are adaptable human beings. And I think we've also adapted to comfort to so much, just to a huge extent that I think seeking that discomfort and tolerance and discipline is probably one of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves because those experiences translate. Like there's this thing inside called the, um, uh, 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 what's it called? Um, like the theory of the, it's, I don't know if it's theory, but it's something of the veteran. And what it means is like when you repeat an experience, you become habituated to that feeling. And so it's, it's like if you're uncomfortable running, 
when you're uncomfortable in other situations, you don't have the nervous system reaction that you once did. When you're uncomfortable running in the muck, when you have to say something that's scary, that discomfort doesn't stop you. Hey, Kristen, do you know what's awesome? What, Mike? Real food bars. They're so delicious. They are delicious. I take them on my runs with me because they're such clean fuel. Like you're out on the track and you open up a bar while you're running? Yeah, just tear it open right there on the spot. That's versatile. They source all local ingredients. All local? So they call themselves Made with Local because they support so many local farmers and food makers. Where are those farmers based out of that they support? Nova Scotia. Holy smokes, this is (laughs) getting even better and better. Where can you buy their products? So they still manufacture in Nova Scotia, but you can find their product all across Canada now. This is unreal. And they started out as just a small table at a farmer's market and have now achieved B Corp certification. That sounds pretty fancy. Yeah, they have tons of delicious flavors. I'm partial to anything with peanut butter and chocolate, as you know, but they also have lemon and blueberry, uh, gingerbread for the holidays. Oh man, they are pretty darn delicious and healthy. Like when I eat like seven in a row, if I ate seven Mars bars, you know, I'd feel like I was gonna die, but I eat seven of those and I feel like I can take over the world. Yeah, you could lift a car after that. Yeah, you get this like power in your bones. Made with local. And where can we find these bars and all the great products they create? So I usually pick up my real food bars just at our local grocery store, but they're also found in lots of health food stores, gas stations, and little markets across the country. They are doing awesome, and they taste awesome, nutritious, and delicious real food bars. Real food bars. Made with local. Made with local. This has been a huge lesson, I'll say, this year for me is really finding clarity in exactly what you've just said mm-hmm. in how how much control we, we really have, how committing to that training mm-hmm. has made such a huge difference. And Mike and I, I guess, express this in different ways. Like he's done uh, the cold immersion therapy for mm. quite some time. I've That's gotten right. into it a little bit, but and. and He's very committed to going and doing that. Yeah. And I think it's, and for me, and Mike, you can speak to what your experience is like showing up when we go to the ocean. For me, I get nervous every time we go still. I've been doing it a year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I still have a little bit of, it's uncomfortable. It's, I am cold. Yeah. But you go through, you know, maybe 30 seconds of that Mm -hmm. and then you come out on the other side. And that has just proven to me time and time again that, it's not that the experience has changed. No. It's that I have changed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, yeah, that's right, Mike. You're always been. That's another thing of tolerance. That's creating tolerance. I, I started when I was 12, I think. Stop. Um, I remember it was, the, well, the polar bear dip in Inverness, yeah. which I do every every January 1st. And yeah. It was the first one they ever did in town. And yeah. there's video of this, actually. Uh, I remember... There's maybe, there's a good chunk of us, maybe 40 or 50, and then a large audience were like, we're not that crazy. And a bunch of people were just kind of standing like, uh, so when are we going to go? And I just ripped off my clothes and just, I decided in that moment, I just have to do it. Like I can stand exactly. here and look at the water or I can just do it. So I went in first and everyone kind of followed <laughs> and, uh. 
my my dad was supposed to first he was supposed to take a picture and yeah. digital cameras did not exist at this point in time and he was supposed to have a blanket ready there was two tasks and I came out of the water and he was trying to figure out how to use the camera. How the hell do you use this thing? And I, so I'm just standing there shivering and uh, he eventually gets some type of picture. And then I think he forgot the blanket in the car. So we went oh. we went home and mom was upset with him. But I, I remember it, in that moment, it was like I could easily just not go in and... Everyone standing on shore was kind of thinking, like, are we crazy? Are we out of our minds? And this is before Wim Hof came along yeah. and before breathing techniques. And people really knew the benefits of it. Yeah. It was more just doing a hard thing. Exactly. And I just decided I'm just going to do it. So I, I went in and, it, like Kristen said, it's a few minutes of something that's a little bit hard. And then mm -hmm. afterwards... And now, especially, I know, like, you get all those health benefits. Mm -hmm. then. But afterwards, it was just more like, yeah, I just did something that all these other hundred people standing on shore couldn't do. And if, since then, I've found doing hard things quite easy. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm willing to just do things that a lot of people might not. Yeah. I'm really bad at a lot of other things. But one of my skills yeah. is I'm willing to, yeah, if... I'll try anything that's hard. I'm not afraid of that. Yeah. And I don't know exactly why that's a, a skill I have. And I don't know if I could teach that mm -hmm. to someone, but maybe you know, like if there's someone who, yeah, just wants to even just start going for walks every day, like how would, how would you instill dedication mm -hmm. in someone? How would you just get them to desire mm -hmm. to do that? I think, first of all, that's incredible because you're right. Everything in us is like crunch. We're comfort seeking beings. We want yeah. to stay safe. And I guess, I guess that makes a lot of sense when you think about like hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. We've safety was our primary goal. Survival was our primary goal. Only in the last couple hundred years have we had a consistent level for most people of a sense of safety. So we're, we're very much so comfort seeking beings. But I think to your point, when we want to do something, I think fear shouldn't be a reason not to. If you're scared, if you're nervous, but you really want to do something, that shouldn't be a reason to stop yourself. Because fear, without that sort of reorienting yourself around it, it is inherently the reason why we stop ourselves. We're designed to do that. We're designed to stop when we feel fear. Because, I don't know, proposedly evolutionarily wise, when you felt fear, you stop and you, you tune into your senses. But if you're scared, but you really want to do something, you do it scared. And then confidence is a consequence that you get from doing actions repeatedly where you feel confident in doing it. And so embracing the beginner stage, embracing that you're not going to know how to do it, you're going to feel a little scared. It's going to feel weird. And you're going to schedule it. That's when you start to reorient. And it's not even the act of doing it. It's just like you were saying. It's who you're becoming as a consequence of doing it. Mm. And so fear doesn't really have a hold on you because it's not something that stops you. Are there other things that we're designed to do that we're not doing? Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> lots, lots of things. 
One thing I would say that's so the if there were like takeaways, the the yes or no, so close ended truthful questions of what you're experiencing. Is it true that blank, yes or no? Is it true that I know this is gonna happen? Yes or no? No. Um, second thing, we don't exhale. Interestingly enough, inhale triggers the stress response. So when you're going in the water, we hold our breath. Mm -hmm. So inhale is designed for survival. It's designed for preservation. It's designed for oxygen. Exhale is designed for relaxation. So what do you do when you sit on the couch? We operate usually most of our days just inhaling, a sequence of achieving enough oxygen to keep going without exhaling. When you exhale, despite whatever is going on in the environment, you're actually triggering your system that you're safe. So when you go in the water and you exhale, you actually, your nervous system stops like fighting against it because it's like, oh, we're safe. And so you can do this anywhere. You can like, you can be in the grocery line and feeling a little anxious or feeling a little nervous or something and you just go, so intentionally exhaling, we're designed to activate our stress response when stressful or triggered um, and down-regulating immediately after. We don't do that. We're usually of varying degrees of triggered throughout the day, not even because we're stressed, but because we're on. Stress is like this, um, it's the hormone that keeps us alert. And so when you're going from email to text to this to that to like conversations and meetings, you're constantly in a state of on that your nervous system is getting as much oxygen as it needs when you're never really exhaling. All of us are sort of breathing up in our neck. And when you intentionally exhale, regardless of the situation, you're telling your, your brain and your nervous system for a moment that we're actually safe. I know we're busy, but we're safe. And you get to sort of unwind for a second. Do you have any breathing techniques you like? I would say my favorite would be if you want energy, the the double inhale. Like <laughs> yeah. That actually yeah. will give you energy because it triggers yeah. the stress response. Yeah. And then when you want to relax, that really prolonged exhale. Yeah. And using them to intentionally to just <sighs> I got a free app. It's mm-hmm. either I breath or I breathe. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And it has a couple different free techniques you can use and one is breathing in for six or seven seconds and then breathing out for six or seven seconds yeah so it's a big inhale big exhale Mm -hmm. uh there's also the four seven eight technique you breathe in for four hold for seven out for eight exactly that's the more that's like calming and i i've done over the last year i've been doing just I like experimenting with things yep. and seeing what what works for me and what what doesn't and I find that breathing is just almost a guaranteed way 100%. to just come into the moment. 100%. Like, Cuz if you think of the way that the mind works when you really think of it as like a vat, it's it doesn't have sight. It's just creating meaning through your experience. Your thoughts are one experience, your breathing is another. So it's just gathering information at all times. And when you intentionally use your breathing, it's not like you're doing it because you're supposed to. You're doing it because it's how it works. Yeah. Like you're, you're giving your nervous system something. One thing that um, for people that are feeling really stressed or feeling overwhelmed, big inhales can actually be triggering. So 
or having a really like um, trouble with lung capacity because they're so on and they're so conditioned to inhale, 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 that expanding that capacity is actually can be triggering. So what I tell people that are a little bit stressed, not a little bit, everyone's a little more than that, um, that are feeling overwhelmed, don't even focus on the inhale, just focus on the exhale. I That's a really good tip because I've had times where I couldn't quite get my whole breath in yeah. and that felt extra panicky. Yes. But this explains why that's yeah. the case. It's because you're, it's like you're activating so much of the nervous system to just calm it down where if you don't activate it, you just calm it down. So just breathe normally and then just. I want to ask you about serotonin and dopamine. Yeah. Because yeah. these are, I would say the two biggies or yeah. that we hear about. Could you let us know what they are and how we can optimize their function? Yeah. So serotonin is a hormone that um, is, is our feel-good hormone. With women in particular, it's really um, attached to other hormones, but it's we feel confident, we feel fine, we feel good. Um, our sleep is regulated. Melatonin, serotonin is a precursor to melatonin, so our sleep feels really good. Uh, dopamine is a motivation-seeking hormone. So dopamine just wants to push the button. It just wants, what's the next thing? Where are we going? I want to feel fulfilled. I want to feel like I'm moving towards something. Hormo um, dopamine is like the hormone of desire. Desire is the feeling that you experience before you achieve something. Mm. It's that seeking hormone. Um, it can impact our mood. Both of them impact our mood. Serotonin is highly, highly correlated to gut health. A lot of our serotonin lives and exists in our gut. And so serotonin is something that is optimized through, um, there's a lot of different ways, but optimized through nutrition. When we sort of align with our gut, we feel like our gut is in a good place. It actually enhances serotonin levels. It also, though, is the hormone that responds to when we start creating boundaries, when we start seeing ourselves differently, when we start detaching our worth from other things than who we inherently are. Serotonin is that hormone that just, it will thrive in a state of you saying that it's good. Like it, it's, we're in, a, we're in a safe place. So aligning your gut function, um, optimizing your sleep is another incredible one for serotonin. And then just starting to, to recognize the value that you have and how are you, how are you creating a life around that rather than giving, 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 giving. Dopamine, interestingly enough, everyone is waiting to achieve their goals to feel really good. Um, and that's actually the opposite of how it works, believe it or not. Dopamine is highest in the process. So dopamine is at its highest as you're training for a marathon than when you run over the finish line. So cool. And when you know that, a lot of us are waiting to acknowledge feeling a sense of satisfaction once we achieve something only to jump to the next thing because we miss that feeling. It's because our dopamine crashes. And so we're seeking, that seeking behavior increases again because we want the next thing. It's like a drug addict. They want the next hit. And so it's the same hormone. Um, when you realize that the sincere pursuit of something that you're interested in is what leverages your dopamine and you start to recognize that I really enjoy doing this. I like the building. Like, look, at you guys are two highly creative people. You like the creation of it and not just the product. That's your dopamine. How 
bad is modern technology for our dopamine? Oh, wow. <laughs> so here's the thing. There is BJ Fogg. He's um, a behavioral psychologist in Stanford. He actually has coined the Silicon Valley billionaire maker. So BJ Fogg was the one that added and suggested things like the like, the share, the these highly engaging activities that that's that cater to our system and cater to our inherent needs to change our behavior. So social media has been the biggest social experience of our time experiment, because what you're doing is that it's not the, the currency on social media is not likes, shares, money, anything. It's your attention. And so it's designed to use your dopamine to leverage your attention. And so when you post something and you keep checking to see how many likes, how many shares, how many whatever, it's the that seeking behavior is dopamine. When you don't feel that satisfaction, you're habituating your dopamine levels to be so high that you're fulfilled, you're unfulfilled constantly. So we're kind of living in a perpetual state of lack or scarcity Mm -hmm. if we're not kind of a 10 out of 10 because that's how we're training our dopamine to behave. Exactly. And we're also training it to be so externally sourced. And so rather like the design, I would say, now granted this is only my own perspective and I I hate saying things sort of like so absolute because it's just not how life works, but um. I would say that our dopamine is designed for the sincere pursuit of what makes us happy and fulfilled on our own terms, in our own life. It also can get hijacked by feeling satisfied and fulfilled outside of ourselves. And so social media is designed to leverage your dopamine because they make money through your attention. And when you're one of the perfect examples is notification, one way that you can sort of recondition yourself is turn off notifications. You're giving your attention away. Don't have notifications. That So notifications play to two hormones, cortisol, i.e. Alarm, alarm bells, that noise of it takes your attention, and two, dopamine, What's like? what does it mean? And how does cortisol fit into this family, like the oh, function of it related yeah. to serotonin and dopamine? So cortisol is our stress hormone. It is our on button. So when we are constantly, so let's say, for instance, do you want to talk in the context of social media? Sure. If that's a that's a relatable yeah. uh, example, yeah. I would I say. I feel like, and it's not, I don't want to vilify social media. It has a really powerful side of it, but I'm always interested in like, let's know how the game works. Yeah. Then play it mm-hmm. rather than the game playing us. Um, so in the, in the context of the hormones, let's say, um, if you have an Instagram account and um, we're designed as, we're kind of pack animals. We're designed in a group. So we are inherently designed to want to feel like we belong. When you have thousands of people that follow you, that's the group that you want to belong to. And that's overly simplistic, but there's a, there's a desire that we have to feel like we belong. And so social media is designed to spike your dopamine levels by keeping you engaged. So there's different components of it. There's likes, there's shares, there's comments, there's this, there's that, where it keeps your attention. Cortisol is our hormone, our stress hormone. 
cortisol is the means with which the gas we hit to give ourselves attention. And so your cortisol levels are activated through the blue light, through what people are saying that you might be perceiving as bad, good, neutral, whatever it may be. And then what we ultimately feel is we could possibly feel disappointment, which is serotonin. And so we get in this vicious cycle of how we feel is in the confines of the four edges of our phone because we are seeking that validation. We're perceiving it through cortisol as good, bad, neutral, whatever. And then we're ultimately feeling the result of whatever we attach the meaning to it. How do we start to define and identify our own internal um, sense of worth to stimulate that dopamine? I think one of the things is that it's going to be on. One of the things that dopamine is that it's habituated, which means that you'll do it unconsciously. The things that you seek dopamine from, you'll do without thinking. Like how many times do we go to check our email, but we go to a, a social media app first? Or we'll do things without even recognizing it. So I think taking notifications off your phone, taking back the authority of your attention, being like, no, 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 this is my attention. Um, leaving it in places that you're going somewhere, you don't need it, just leave it. Become comfortable with having control over it. And feeling uncomfortable, like breaking that habitual pattern of like, but I need it. It's like, well, I'm pretty sure that I didn't have a phone a period in my life and I lived just well. It's navigating that discomfort because it's such a habituated act to pick it up and unconsciously do it is putting it down and then asking yourself, like, what do I want? It speaks to as well, like we use the example of going cold dipping and that's uncomfortable mm -hmm. and it's training us to do this thing. Not doing the thing yeah. also sounds like an example of doing something that's uncomfortable, not taking our phone, exactly. not taking the notifications. Yeah, exactly. And I think resilience is a consequence of understanding that you can tolerate discomfort and not that you're handling stressful situations after another after another. Because with powerful decision-making, a sense of clarity with what you want, and the desire to do it despite feeling uncomfortable, feeling scared, feeling unsure. That's another reason why a lot of people will stop themselves. They're not sure. They don't know what to do exactly. Um, those are the things where you can kind of take your power back and be like, okay, well, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make this small decision. Um, it's not an overhaul. I don't think anything works in the context of an overhaul. Like I said, like behavioral changes can come from an epiphany, which is rare, <laughs> terrified, um, which is kind of an epiphany in and of itself when a traumatic thing happens or baby steps. And so like going, if you're not, if you're planning on doing a marathon, just going to the end of the block and coming back because it's not the act of doing it. It's the act of you said so. How important is exercise in our overall health? Exercise is certainly important. Um, I would say exercise, kind of the same thing as nutrition, right? It gets a, no, I shouldn't say a bad rap. It gets, it gets placed in this box of like, this is how it should be done. And I think um, when we think about how we've evolved, we haven't evolved that much our environment has evolved and exercise is a form of is movement 
So a lot of people will hear the term exercise and they'll actually feel quite triggered because it's like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. I don't, I don't. They associate it with how they see themselves and the value that they put on themselves when it's just, it's movement. Cleaning is exercise. Going for walks is exercise. Moving, taking the stairs, parking further, just having a cognizant idea of you move your body by design, like it's designed to move more than it's designed to rest, aside from sleep. And I think, yeah, to your question, Mike, there's there's almost so much information now yeah. on health, wellness, fitness, all of this, that it can feel like you're constantly doing it wrong or, or not enough of it. Uh, I, I've had that feeling myself. Like I was reading something recently about the water that we're drinking in our taps and that if it's yeah. not filtered, that, you know, you're putting all this crap in your body and I'm like I never this was something not even on my radar and I know and that's something where I feel like not knowing right that's one of the things that stop us when you dip your toe into the world of preventative medicine functional medicine whatever you want to call it um there's no there's no limit to it and so I think um it's really important to keep it simple, not only for your own sense of clarity, but for your own sort of how we behave as humans. If we overcomplicate things, um, if we make it like an overhaul, if we make these decisions that are massive, like I'm going to do this, and it really doesn't align with how we see ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, what we're already doing, then you're really setting yourself up for disappointment or saying it doesn't work this way, or I can't do it. And so when it comes to health, I all, like when it comes to wellness, I always tell people like the most complicated problems often have the simplest solutions. It can be as simple as, how do you speak to yourself? Oh, I feel, I was just going to say, I feel like in the last number of years, the whole health and wellness industry has been monetized. 100%. People are trying to just get weasel their way in to make some money yeah. off off people because there's a, a desperate population like tell us what to eat tell me what yeah. to do and how do i be mindful how do i do all this so there's there's so much out there and a lot of really good stuff a lot yeah. of great information but i feel like there are lots of people just seeing it as a area they can create a business in and make some money yeah a hundred percent and i think there's something that's called, um, I think what health, wellness, healthcare, sick care has kind of done in a way, unintentionally, intentionally, who knows, um, is they've taken our sense of control outside of ourselves. And what I mean by that is that we're always seeking someone else's answers. Um, so you go to the doctor, like, you tell me what to do. You Google, Google's telling you what to do. and I, I get it that there's so much information, but what I would love for people to feel is a sense of confidence that you know at least one next step. You know. If I gave everyone a piece of paper, tell me a healthy diet, an exercise plan, they'd all nail it. The problem is no one's doing it. And it's because we all place our sense of control outside and other people. And it's even though Google's complicated, even though there's a million and one supplements at the health food store, even though so-and-so did this and she's doing this and they're doing this, 
Um, that doesn't mean anything outside of what are you doing? What's right for you? And so I think, what do you want? What ultimately, and not, I hate, I don't really like the term goal because it makes it seem like you're doing it for a sense of achievement. What's the, what is a single result you're looking for? And start there. And start there. And so is it, I want to feel more energy. Okay. And are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling stressed? Do you want to start with the emotions? Do you want to start with how you speak to yourself? Do you want to start with your bedtime? Do you want to start with um, the people that you allow in your life and to kind of drain you? Do you want to start with your boundaries? And that's when you start to really sit and be like, okay, I got, I got this. One small bite. Exhaling, yes or no questions, sort of keeping your mind in track and powerful decisions where it's, I'm not just deciding that I want to do this. I'm re-identifying as a person that does this. That's what will get you toward a sense of clarity. And that clarity will actually give you stronger decisions. And all decisions are made mostly unknown. The decisions that you make when you know all the information aren't really decisions. They're just repetition. Right. You're in a pattern then. You're just in a pattern. So powerful decisions are made when you don't know all the information. You just choose one thing. Is Would you say, and I know they're not in competition, your brain mm-hmm. health versus, mm-hmm. say, your gut or physical health more so, but it almost sounds like starting with your brain health makes sense. That's in my opinion. I, I believe that how people speak to themselves, see themselves, how they frame their circumstance um, really impacts the cascade because our hormones are always trying to respond for us rather than against us. Your body is responding to you for you. And when I think one thing that we don't really acknowledge a lot is that our stress, our experience of stress has usually very little to do with the circumstance and everything to do with how we perceive the circumstance. And so when you start to realize, okay, I have understanding of that, that space between stimulus and response, I have, I have a sense of control and understanding that there's a space there and how I identify. And I know the brain is a meaning creator and stories and we can give it a sense of truth. That's when you start to realize, okay, I have a lot more influence than just going from experience to experience, feeling like a victim of my circumstance. I have a lot more influence over it. And when you start to see yourself, we always behave in alignment with our identity. When you start to see yourself as I'm someone that blank, that's when the behavior repetition comes into play because you're, you're shaping yourself around an identity that feels good. This is an important exercise. Like if you're yeah. listening right now, let's do the I am and fill in your blank. And 100%. See, see how that can change even today. Totally. And, and how, I think, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I love the one I'm, I'm not, I'm the type of person that, so I'm the type of person that I don't feel overwhelmed. So when overwhelm starts to come, if you identify as someone that doesn't feel overwhelmed, what you do is you have this radar in your brain to be like, okay, what's happening? It's like you're giving the cues to your mind to pay attention because it's like, okay, I have to drop this because I'm not the person that does overwhelm. These are such helpful tips and life lessons, really, (laughs) that will help a lot of people out there. And I, I feel like 
there's a lot of things changing in the world now. We were talking earlier about yeah. uh, how people who are under 42 right now might mm-hmm. live until they're 120. Like we, we might, the lifespan of people might be just extended drastically. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these different technologies coming into the world. There's exploration of space. Like there's a lot of technology exploding rapidly now. And I feel Mm -hmm. like our brains and bodies are still stuck in a time from thousands of years ago. And we're just trying to catch up. And obviously we can't predict what's going to happen in the next bit, Mm -hmm. but it seems like it's really important that we have to be tuned in to ourselves. Absolutely. And I think that's such a perfect example of healthcare is def- like, so the, the premise of healthcare is that it's defined on studying the sick person. And so what happens to illness? What happens to like, they study the sick person to determine how do you intervene in the healthy? That kind of longevity type of medicine or, or what you're talking to about extending our longevity is really changing the narrative of, okay, what's happening in the healthy person? And then how do you make your choices around what's happening in the people that live to be 100? What's happening in the people that feel like they can go to war and come back and or be in the Holocaust and come back and speak inspirationally about their narrative? What's happening to the people that actually feel resilient and are living and are thriving versus what are the symptoms of the ill? And I think that's kind of the medicine, the way, the direction that medicine is going in is like, how do we, how do we optimize the engine that we have? Uh, But you're right. And, but let alone, but honor the design that it has, which is very little evolution over the last long period of time. What part of this evolution in research and knowledge interests you the most? I think what interests me the most is in the field of understanding sort of resilience, understanding the stress response, understanding um, human potential. Like what, what are the edges? And I think the edge is kind of the, like individual, like you mentioned Wim Hof. Wim Hof is doing things that we never thought possible in medicine. Reversing illness through cold exposure and breathing. Um, And I think that, what interests me the most is when we redefine what we think is possible. And this seems to have been just part of you since you were that five-year-old oh, girl yeah. looking at the dandelion. A hundred percent. Yeah. I've always been the kid. It's like, what does this button do? But very cool is like, <laughs> this is happening. We spoke earlier as well, even in your daughter now, yes. where she's kind of born to be her. And I yeah. feel like you share that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, she's definitely someone that's unapologetically herself, and she's taught me a lot about conviction. Incredible. Oh, this is going to help a lot of people for sure. Oh, I hope so. We're very lucky to to have you in this space, and you're just a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, we were sort of heavy on the the health questions. We usually usually spend more time, like, getting to talk to the person, but it just felt like this is so helpful for people to understand and maybe selfishly hammered you a bit too much on the... No, I love this. When we have someone with this amount of knowledge, you just got to dig in, you know? Yeah, we were opportunists today. 
But what about Mal the person? What's, yeah. What's going on? Um, Mal the person. I've just like we were talking about. I'm always curious about what, what if, like what if we could do this? Um, and so at home with the kids, working from home, and then I'm launching a new company at the end of January mm. for female entrepreneurs. Um, I know one of those. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, only because um, I think when we understand a little bit about the design, I think, and I, I say female entrepreneurs because I relate very much so myself, but I feel like in that space, we identify as burnout as almost like a rite of passage when not recognizing that feeling, a sense of thriving and burnout are actually the same scale. They're just different, used differently. It's the same system used differently. And so how do you move toward the sight line yet sustain yourself physically and mentally as you do it rather than sacrificing everything that you are to get to where you want to be? And I think that kind of play of how do you use the system in your favor um, really excites me. And what will that offering look like? Are you do you enjoy collaborating with others, or how do you like to present all of your knowledge aside from being on our podcast and yes. us grilling you? Yeah, no. So it's <laughs> going to be um, there's going to be a space for one on one. There's going to be a space for group. There's going to be a space where you can just take courses on certain topics. So if you want to learn about the stress response, if you want to learn about hormones, I love. Um, I never ever think of myself as sort of fixing people. I always think of myself as having conversations that can somehow someone would take a breadcrumb and be like, oh, that that tracks. And then they put that into place. So I'm a big component. I'm a big uh, believer in just teaching people what I've come to know. And then you use it in your own life in whatever way that looks like. And you take that information and sort of package it in, into the shape of you. Um, and so that it's going to have different offerings at different levels of just education, right? It's so which, needed. Which cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. I love it. I, it's, I love talking about it. I love these little tips and tricks and hacks. And, and I think it comes from suffering from a lot of anxiety when I was a teen, suffering from a lot of things that I thought in some capacity I was broken, not recognizing that I was in, that it was actually by design. I didn't understand certain things and when you take it outside of yourself you're like oh but you could do this and you could try that do you feel like you're always changing i think everyone's always changing to some capacity i think we're always sort of evolving which is so cool because someone like you guys in the creative field you have that outlet to express and create and music and art and i think we're always evolving into different versions of ourselves where can people find you and this new the new course or what do you call it or program or yeah, uh, platform, I guess? Yeah. So I'm on where can they find me? I guess the best place is on Instagram. Yeah. Website, Dr. Mallory. Okay. Um, Instagram, Dr. Mallory. But your show we'll put the links into the show notes yeah. so everyone can look you yeah. up. But yeah. Again, this is it is, we've have guests of all types on here mm -hmm. and a lot of the real meaningful episodes are just people sharing the knowledge that they have. And you obviously have a wealth of knowledge in the, the, the health world. So pe people tune in to, and one of the great things about this, is they get to learn and we're not, mm -hmm. we're in the process of learning with you. That's so 
our audience gets to just soak up the knowledge that we're trying to get from you at the same time. That's the best part. And that's one of the ways to keep your brain young. Learning. Yeah. Different stuff. Uncomfortable. Like that's the what like trying things that are new. That is how you exercise your brain. That's what our podcast does for people. Keeps them young. <laughs> totally. This is your brain that's exercise. Your, that's yeah. your tagline. And if you're walking while you're listening to it, there's a double whammy. There yeah. you go. <laughs> One of the things I would say is for most people, just take the pressure off. Great tip. It's... Just take the pressure off. How are you speaking to yourself? Do you need a glass of water? Like just act towards yourself as you act so graciously towards everyone else. And things will change. Thank you for all of your reminders. I think I've really noticed lately as well, um, we hear a lot of the same messages frequently, oh, yeah. but how you hear it and who you hear it from can make all the difference. And mm-hmm. yeah, you just had so many, like I said earlier, like bumper sticker headlines in, <laughs> in your information. So, it, but that's how it, they're easy to remember that way because mm-hmm. they have, they pack a punch. So yeah, your presentation of your knowledge was also exceptional. Oh, so thanks so much, Mal. We really appreciate Thank you it. so much. I could sit here with you guys for all day and tomorrow. And the well, next we've day. got our list after we <laughs> shut down here. <laughs> we can have you on as a recurring guest. Yeah. Just yeah. Comes and We'd love us... to have you to be our in-house yeah. doctor. Yeah. 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 Love that. <gasps> well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. And yeah, let's chat again. We will. We will. Cheers, everyone. Well, I feel healthier just having listened to that. Yeah, there's so much great stuff in there. And Mal is uh, just very informed and kind of takes you on a little journey there through that. I'd love to hear from any of our listeners if there are any specific questions that you would like to have answered by a naturopath because we've had a couple of incredible doctors on so far dr mal and we had dr Cox on a few yeah. weeks ago and uh we're hoping to have more people in the wellness world join us just again to offer that support but if there's anything that you're curious about that we may have missed well you can do our best to insert those questions yeah yeah and as always we we love any feedback or ideas or if you want to be a guest or you know someone that might be a great person to have on to shoot us a message we're loving these conversations and the podcast has been seeing a lot of growth lately which feels pretty awesome i feel proud of how far we've come we're broaching on well it'll be a year in march yeah we've been showing up every week and uh something i was thinking about the other day we haven't talked about this okay (laughs) but i was thinking how incredible it is that not only are we hosting this podcast together but Doing this every single week for an entire almost year now, I think is pretty impressive as a married couple. Yeah, we're 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 doing pretty good, you know. Yeah. Maybe when I think about it, maybe maybe our marriage is silver, silver, not bronze. Okay. After the cheetah. I just wanted to move myself up in the yeah. rankings. I'm going for gold still. Yeah, we can, we can get there, but again, <laughs> cheetah when you're like 12 years old is pretty impressive. Maybe I could get a cheetah to show up with a basketball and a bag of roast chicken chips, and then... Well, you would have gold, silver, and bronze then. Okay, there. Problem solved. 
Stay tuned, folks. Well, yeah, I, I'm also very proud of that fact, and it's uh, it's it's going going really well. And all the support we have from you, our listeners out there, means so much. And the the reviews that we've been getting lately, like we're we've had a lot more in the last uh, couple weeks, and that that actually helps us climb the charts. Yeah, and just find new listeners. And, I know people can, it, it can feel tiresome for, to always be asked to do something. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe and rate and review. But we, we put the invite out for our listeners to do that for us on a post a couple of weeks ago. And in that one day, you helped us uh, break into the top 100 podcasts in Canada. In Canada yeah. So that, that's what you're doing for us. So thank you. We're climbing. We're doing it together. We're all here together. One day at a time. One step at a time. That's the song I wrote. Yeah. All right. You got something in your eye. So we're. I do. Yeah. yeah, It's right watery. Okay. We'll sign off here. Okay. We're going to go tend to Mike's eye. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. Woo.